Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street literally is today. I have a quote from Ruth B. Yesner, a VP of Government Insights at IDC. She's been a guest on the show many times, and here's the quote. Data as a smart city asset is an increasingly important topic. There we said it, and that's what we're talking about today. Let me give you a little more background before I introduce our panelists. The data revolution and the competition to become the smart city of the future are combining to exponentially transform our cities. Visionary city leaders, what are they doing? They're embracing business model innovation. That means they are looking at public services and reimagining them. They're looking at urban sustainability. They are reimagining that, and they're looking at economic growth. They have to embrace that and find out how to do it. And guess where the energy, the power is coming? from in all of this? Data. That's right. Four little letters that pack a punch. So our question to our listeners around the world here on the Business Channel, is your city in the running to become the smart city of the future? Well, we certainly hope so. After you hear from my three panelists, I think you'll have a clearer idea of what you need to do. So welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And if you're just tuning in, this is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. Our topic today, data-driven cities of the future. Plain and simple, that's where you need to be. So let me tell you who my three experts are in the panel today, and then we will hear from them very briefly. Harold Wouters, I think I have his name pronounced correctly. He's the senior strategist at the city of Den Bosch in the Netherlands, and in a moment he'll tell me how to pronounce everything. Joining him is Ivan Caballero, founder and CEO of a company called City Beat, C-I-T-I-B-E-A-T-S. Can't wait to hear about his company, and rounding out the panel is my colleague at SAP, who is the sponsor of this wonderful series, Max Claps, Future Cities, Citizen Engagement, and Postal Business at SAP. So welcome to my three esteemed panelists calling from all over the world, and we'll find out where. Harold Wouters is up first, and Harold has sent us a quote from Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil, young fellow, born in 1948, he's young to me, American inventor and a futurist. He has been involved in OCR, text-to-speech synthesis, speech recognition technology, and electronic keyboard instruments. Very interesting guy, and here's the quote. Artificial intelligence will reach human levels by around 2029. Follow that out further to say 2045 will have multiplied the intelligence, the human biological machine intelligence of our civilization a billion fold. I'm not sure whether to be excited or scared. Harold Wouters, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Bonnie. Very fine. The city is called Bosch, by the way. Bosch, okay. I knew you would help me with that one. Harold, talk to me about how you picked this quote for our topic today. We're talking about data-driven cities of the future, and you've got this wonderful, very long quote from Ray Kurzweil. Do the, relate the breadcrumbs for me, please. Yeah, because uh, I think it's really mind-blowing uh, exponential growth, and it's really difficult to comprehend for people uh, what this means. So Ray says between 1900 and 2000 
is a century long of technological development. And that same development happened between the year 2000 and 2014. And the same happened between 2014 and 2021. So in a few years from now, the developments will go as rapidly as a couple of times a year. So by the end of this century, we'll have a thousand times as much technological development as we had last century. So that's really mind-blowing. What he says around 20, 2029, 2030, uh, the, the artificial intelligence, they will exceed the human intelligence. So we have uh, uh, the computer chips, the power, the computing power of computer chips, it doubles every uh, 18 months. Um, and this one company in the Netherlands called ASML, and not, not many people know it because they only have six customers. Uh, mm-hmm. They have uh, Samsung, Apple, uh, but they make computer chips. They make the, the, the machines that produce computer chips. And they're a monopolist. They make 85% of all the smartphone computer chips in the world. And they're the only reason that the Moore's Law, the founder of Intel, the law still exists. So they're pushing Moore's Law to the limit. And, and by, the, by their chances, in 2030, uh, the, the moment of singularity will be reached. And then the, 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 yeah, the, the possibilities are endless. Wow, that's exciting and frightening at the same time, Harold. And and I think we know why people are so worried about jobs being replaced. And we talk about this on several of our other Game Changers radio shows. My question to you is, do you think we will ever, I'm going to jump jump into a quick prediction question to you, and I'll ask the same thing of all of our other panelists. Do you think that the predictions that we will have an AI CEO sitting at the helm of the C-suite by 2047, do you think that's true? I think um, a lot of jobs will change. We see it constantly. And I think uh, people that are now in kindergarten, uh, they will have jobs that are not there uh, at the moment. Um, but I think there will be new, new jobs coming in as well. So some things will be replaced. But you can see it now at the postal offices, uh, uh, administration and postal offices of organizations. They're all replaced by, uh, the, um, by email. But I think there will be new jobs coming along as well for uh, people to continue doing. Thank you. And what about the AI CEO? Yes or no by 2047? Think? Uh, I'll, I'll say yes. I'll ah! Okay, we'll put that one in the bank. Let's see if that comes through. You and I are going to stay in touch for the, for the next 27, 28 years. I'm looking forward to that, Harold. Let me move on to our next panelist, Ivan Caballero, founder and CEO of City Beats. And Ivan has sent us a quote from Eduardo Hughes Galliano, uh, lived from 1940 to 2015, a Uruguayan journalist, writer, and novelist, considered global soccer's preeminent man of letters and a literary giant of the Latin American left. And here is the quote, many small people in small places doing small things can change the world. Ivan Caballero, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thank you very much, Vanny. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I love the quote. Tell me how you found it and how you picked it. Ivan? Well, uh, given our background that um, I've been participating in many social movements, uh, I've been realizing that um, even the societies driven by uh, big corporations, big governments, um, what we are finding is that if we can leverage the power of the crowd, uh, we can uh, find very, uh, very uh, big changes in the society. Um, 
So uh, we've been, for example, um, hearing a lot about Internet of Things. And uh, lately we've been working in the Internet of People. Uh, that means mm-hmm. that if we are able to work with people as a sensor uh, and engage them into uh, uh, sharing their uh, data and uh, through their actions, uh, we, can, we, can, we can structure their data. We can... Um, transform and structure data into something much more structured so we can take better decisions and build a more responsive society. And that's the way that I see this uh, amazing um, quote from Eduardo Galeano. Thank you very much. Yvonne, same question to you that I asked of Harold. Do you think we'll see an AI CEO, not an AI-powered CEO, but an actual robot sitting at the head of the, the C-suite table by sometime in the 2040 range? What do you think? I'm pretty sure that it will be uh, uh, before that uh, that date. Uh, I was in ah. Japan uh, two months ago, and, and I had a robot bringing me water into the into a into a, into the into the the meeting room, uh, and and uh, there are some uh, artificial intelligence robots already that are taking decisions. So I'm pretty sure that it will be much more early than that. Really, I think I think Jack Ma from Alibaba was the one who was quoted saying, "We'll have an AI CEO on the cover of Time Magazine by 2047," meaning it'll get there. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Yvonne. I love the quote because it just there are other famous people who've been quoted with something similar, but I like the fact that it's basically saying change comes from small things it's like a snowball right gathering gathering mm. strength as it rolls down the hill small people small places small things and how you make changes in the world thank you so much Yvonne can't wait to talk to you in a few minutes about what you do in your company I love the name of your organization and now waiting patiently is Max Claps, my colleague at SAP and Max has sent us a wonderful quote from Mahatma Gandhi let me just give a little background here Mohandas Karam Chand Gandhi, 1869-1948. He actually passed away the same year that Ray Kurzweil was born. You know what? They pa- He passed away 13 days before Ray Kurzweil was born. That's interesting, Max. It's just trivia for a cocktail party, but not one I'm going to go to soon. He's better known as the Mahatma or the Great Soul. He was the leader of India's nonviolent independence movement against British rule and in South Africa and advocated for the civil rights of Indians. He was always helping others, and his name Mahatma means great soul. The BBC chose him as the man of the millennium. There's a great honor. And here's the quote. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. Max Claps, welcome. Great to be here, Bonnie. And I know you're probably bored with my Matt Gandhi quote. <laughs> never. A lot of them. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> Talk to me about this one. Well, it's, it's not so much the die part that gets my attention, of course, about this quote. It's the <laughs> learn part of the quote that is really critical for what we're talking about today. Um, we're discussing about data. We're discussing about knowledge and information. And if you look at uh, city governments, and the whole city ecosystem, uh, startups, transport companies, utilities, retailers, everything that breeds within a city sits on a wealth of data. But they do not necessarily derive all of the potential value out of it. Everybody makes assumptions based on gut feeling when planning 
or delivering services to citizens and consumers, they should learn more. They should investigate more. They should continuously challenge those assumptions, explore the unknowns. And that is why I think it's important to uncover the power of data to discuss more about how to share that data, how to analyze it in a creative way, how to apply the power of artificial intelligence to, as I said at the beginning, reimagine uh, life mm-hmm. in the city. So learning more, exploring the unknowns through data. Thank you, Max. Very interesting. I, I'm going to ask you the same. Let me just get that one out of the way. What's the same question is, do you think in, by 2040 to 2047, as Jack Ma predicted, and we've had a yes from Harold and a yes from Yvonne already, do you think we'll have an AI CEO? Yes. I think we already have an AI uh, member of the board in some company, so it's going to be sooner than what Jack Ma predicted that we're going to have a CEO. Wow, that's an interesting wow. Now I have a question for you about what you just said. Very interesting, going back to your Gandhi. No, I never get tired of Gandhi quotes. Uh, learn as if you were to live forever. Where in the population of what we'll call city leaders, Max, and not going back to the kindergarten kids, one of our previous panelists said they'll be having jobs when they grow up that weren't even imagined. We don't have titles or position descriptions for those jobs yet. But but who in, let's say, the current city leadership, and this applies to any city you want all over the world, around the world, Whose role is it to say, we need to reimagine, we need to rethink, we need to break out of the bonds, the bounds of what we've always done? It's time to think way bigger. We have the wealth of data. It's coming at us from everywhere. We have data coming from other cities we can compare ourselves to. Whose job is it to start that conversation, Max? I think those conversations have already started, and and Ivan makes a great point with his quote. Those conversations are happening anyway in the crowd, uh, in startups, in innovation centers. What is missing yet a little bit is the leadership from Mm -hmm. the visionary mayors and deputy mayors, and that's Uh the role that the elected officials should take. And I think Arald as a good example within his city, his mayor is very forward-thinking, uh, but it's not always the case. Probably 20, 25% of cities that I talk to start to think in that direction. There's still, there's still a big cultural gap to get to the point of exploring and embracing the learning through the data. That's exactly what I was looking for. Do you think it's going to come from millennials? Is it going to come from Gen Zers? Is it going to come from boomers who are tired of things not going well? Where is that push? Which leaders are going to be the ones to open that conversation when they get around to it? Any thoughts on the demographics of that, Max? I think part of it is the demographic. Part of it is actually the uh, geographical distribution, right? In the developed world, as we call it, (laughs) Uh, we're, we have a lot of legacy, legacy thinking, legacy data, legacy th- systems. There are emerging economies where they are more of a greenfield. They are less bound by these constraints. So we should expect uh, more innovative thinking to come from Asia, from Latin America, from uh, Africa as well. Uh, I, I was talking with uh, uh, with somebody from South Africa recently, 
at, at the Smart City Expo in Barcelona and uh, think of it taking data from smart meters. Mm-hmm. You think of billing, energy, electricity, pretty boring. But there, it's actually a lot of useful information for the city officials to identify the neighborhoods that are the poorest. If you're consuming very little electricity throughout the day, probably you cannot afford much. And then you can make decisions on how to subsidize tariffs. Or maybe there's a neighborhood where you need to build a new uh, bus line that is subsidized by the city to get the people uh, into work or students into school. So those new geographies are going to be probably dragging us out of our legacy. Very interesting. While you were talking, Max, I googled uh, smart cities of the future and I found an article in smartcitiesworld.net. I wouldn't be surprised if our three panelists, you and Harold and Yvonne, are familiar with this. And they say London leads do it to its inclusive smart city approach. A new study from Eden Strategy Institute and OXD ranks its top 50 smart city governments globally. They studied 140 smart cities and ranked them across clarity of vision, leadership, budget, provision of financial incentives, support programs, talent readiness, people-centric approach, development of an innovation ecosystem, implementation of quote-unquote smart policies, and track record of their previous initiatives. And here are the top 10. London, number one. Here you go, Max. Singapore, number two. Seoul, Korea, number three. New York is number four, Helsinki is five, Montreal, Montreal six, Boston seven, Melbourne, Australia eight, Barcelona nine, and Shanghai ten. So we have three Asian cities in the top ten. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. And I'm, I'm not familiar with the ranking. There's many of those, but uh, the names sound very familiar. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go around the table quickly and ask Harold Wouters in, in the Netherlands. Are yeah. you surprised at this top 10 list? Um, I'm slightly surprised that um, the, the Asian cities, they tend to have a more state-controlled mindset in uh, the data-drivenness. So ah. that's a, a bit concerned for us as well. Interesting. And Yvonne? In the, in the, what, yeah, go ahead, Harold. In, mm-hmm. What we see in Europe that we have uh, now... Uh, we get to notice that we should take a responsibility as a government to not, yeah, to make sure that we keep our people safe. Very interesting, Ivan Caballero. Love to get your thoughts. What do you think of this top ten list? Uh, it's not surprising to me. I really, in my experience, on the on the Asian cities uh, in general, Asian culture, uh, they uh, adopt change easily. And they are quite, they don't have the, this risk aversion that we are having in Europe, for example. Uh, so they embrace change easily. And, uh, on the other hand, um, they, um, they lost that it's very easy for them to reinvent themselves. Uh, so, so, uh, I really see that, uh, they have this capacity of, um, of uh, envisioning, which is, which is the, 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 the smart city of the future and, uh, and to build it. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I hope the three of you don't mind that I brought that in. I thought it was it was an interesting uh, study to take a look at. Always nice to see what's going on in the research population. So let's go around the table back to Harold Waters. Harold, I have three questions for you. I know you're ready for these. Number one, where yeah. in the world? Okay, good. Where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink for the holidays? Because it's already December, so I'd love to know what's your plan for drinking something over Christmas, New Year's, whatever holiday. Holiday you celebrate, and number three, 
what do you do as the senior strategist for the city of Den Bosch at the Netherlands? Go ahead, Harold. Um, I'm in the city of Den Bosch. It's the historic and charming city in the south of the Netherlands. It's a small, dense country. Uh, and for American standards, our city would be a, a large town, 150,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also are dubbed the, the Dutch data science capital because mm. we have the first data science academy in our city um, and a very strong IT cluster. Um, really interesting stuff going on. Um, my favorite drink, it was, it's pouring wet outside right now. So mm. I was thinking uh, I was driving along in the west of Ireland uh, exactly a year ago. And we had the best drink there. So it, it wasn't Guinness. It wasn't whiskey. But we were driving up this mountain and we came across this tiny uh, chocolate factory called oh. Hazel Mountain Chocolate. Um, and we went in and we sat there. It was pouring wet. It was raining. It was cold. And we went there by the fireplace, me and my girlfriend. And we ordered a... I wanted to order a cappuccino in the first place. Gladly I didn't. But I ordered a hot chocolate. And I don't know what, I don't know what they put in there. But the spices, there were... It was cardamom, uh, star anise, uh, anything like that, but it was amazing. It was smooth. It was everything a hot chocolate should be. So that was my favorite favorite drink by far uh, last year. Well, they've been written up in the Irish Times, I have to tell you. A real ah. treat in the foothills of the Burren is Hazel Mountain Chocolates, a quirky cafe yeah. with gluten-free cakes and pastries in a 1950s cottage. Um, fronting a state-of-the-art bean-to-bar stone-ground chocolate factory. Very interesting. Founding by, founded by a walking tour guide and his wife, who comes from a baking family. It's one of Ireland's top ten food attractions. Ooh, I am very, very envious. I love chocolate. Okay, you're, you're taking me completely off the grid of the radio show here, Harold. You're making my mouth water. And, and tell me, where, what do you do as the senior strategist at Den Bosch? Um, I'm responsible for the Smart City program, um, and what if I do, I'm, I, and I, what I did last year, I brought along uh, a few of the companies together. So we have a hardware, software, and buildware. We have a hardware company called Signify. It used to be Philips Lighting, the lighting branch, so they make the lighting uh, grid. Uh, we have SAP Netherlands, their headquarters is in, uh, in Den Bosch. And we have Heimans, it's one of the biggest construction firms. And I said to them, well, you have much more knowledge than we have at our at our government, and I can, I can tell what our policies are, um, and I even can say what, what kind of programs we have to, to define this, this, the problems we have, the challenges. But uh, if you can come together, and we could start an alliance, and we can see what kind of uh, solutions you have for the challenges we have in our city. So basically, I'm connecting the companies along with our, uh, our universities and their knowledge is there to the challenges we have in our city. And, um, yeah, great things are coming out of it. Thank you, Harold. Is this an exciting time to be you in your role in, in your city? Are you excited about your job? Exactly. Uh, absolutely. I'm absolutely excited because uh, it's really pioneering in the, in the city itself. A lot of things are going on, but, but it's not really uh, a, hard, a high-tech city. But um, because of all the, the data-drivenness and because the eagerness of the companies to see the, conceive the city as a, as a new business model... It's really exciting to uh, to see what the, the, the companies can do for the benefit of our citizens. That's really interesting. 
Thank you very much. I thought so. Very good to get to know you. And now let's move a little bit around the table to Ivan Caballero at City Beats. Yvonne, same three questions. Where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite beverage for the holidays or any time of the year? We just want to get to know a little about you. And tell me all about City Beats. When did you found it? How and where? And how did you pick the name? I love the name. Go ahead, Yvonne. Sure. Uh, right now I'm in Barcelona. I'm uh, in uh, in um, in, uh, in the middle of a mountain. In the mi- I'm in the middle of the forest because I live in a natural park, 50 kilometers from Barcelona. Um, probably, I just realized that Barcelona is the ninth uh, yes. most um, <laughs> the, yes. the ninth <laughs> best city of the future. Yes. And um, yeah, I I think I belong to a small community uh, here in Spain called the Neo Rurals. Uh, I realized that also last week. Uh, some people told me, you're a, a, neo, a neo-rural, um, which is this uh, people that is going into the rural areas in order to um, uh, find different ways of educating children and, uh, and uh, re- yeah, reinventing a little bit uh, the reality. And this is related to my drink uh, because uh, three months ago, one of my neighbors uh, brought into, into our house um, something called water kefir. I don't know if you are familiar with this, but this is like a probiotic no. beverage. Uh, you can, it's like a culture. So uh, he brought the water kefir grains and you put this water kefir in um, water with sugar or uh, juice and you leave this uh, fermenting during uh, 24 hours. And after that, you have an amazing um, uh, and refreshing drink. And which is also very good for your health. So uh, this is uh, my discovery of the month, and uh, <laughs> my, wa- my my wife and myself are like uh, taking care of the water kefir, which is like another member of the family right now. And uh, as a CEO of City Beats and founder of City Beats, um, yeah, City Beats started four years ago uh, here in Barcelona as a social ex- experiment in collaboration with UC Berkeley. Uh, we wanted to understand what motivates people to help each other. And uh, we started this uh, social research, and we find out two things. Uh, first is that people, to help others, they need awareness on what is needed in society. And second, they need rewards. Uh, they need to have, like, uh, they have the expectation of receiving something in exchange. So uh, we did an amazing uh, project that we presented in the, into the United Nations. Um, we, were, we, we were awarded as the best project in the world for civic engagement and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And this project is City Beach, uh, which is a tool based on artificial intelligence that allows to collect um, people's opinions and to extract insights out of this so we can give um, totally structured information to governments and companies to be more responsive to the to citizens' needs. Very interesting. Very and and I want to uh, tell you, I come from New York, Yvonne, and anything with C I T I in front. I just moved to North Carolina a little over a year ago, and I, I miss <laughs> a little bit about New York and Long. Island. I was a Long Island girl for many many years, but uh, when I see city C I T I, I always think of Citibank and City Bus and City. This it just it just made me feel like home. But I have to tell you two things. Were you talking about water kefir K E F I R the kefir grains? Is that correct? 
Yes. I thought so. I found an article called Ways to Encourage Water Kefir Grains to Multiply. You have to give them time to adjust and mature. You have to change the sugar water every 24 to 48 hours to prevent overculturing. Uh, you have to use the proper ratio of sugar water and kefir grains, a quarter cup of sugar per quarter. Is this sounding familiar to you? Yeah, that's what we are doing. (laughs) Wow, that's a lot of work. It sounds interesting. I'm going to research that. The other thing I want to tell you is on my personal radio show, oh, about, let's see what the year was. I'm guessing at least five years ago, I interviewed an author named Michael Tonello, T-O-N-E-L-L-O, and his book is Bringing Home the Birkin. My Life in Hot Pursuit of the World's Most Coveted Handbag, the Birkin. And he moved to Barcelona. And he extols how beautiful Barcelona is. And that became his new home base. He's an American. And it was fascinating. And I'll never forget the book. I think I have it here somewhere in my library. And I'll never forget his his description in the book of how wonderful Barcelona is. And I'm happy that Barcelona made the number nine spot in the top ten smart cities. Were you surprised? I'm not surprised. Uh, in fact, Barcelona is having a lot of changes uh, lately. Uh, the city is uh, is being rethinked and rebuilt constantly. And um, just as um, uh, something that I think is really interesting here in this region, which is Catalonia, uh, we have the mo- the strongest associationist um, ecosystem in Europe. Mm-hmm. That means that people help help. Uh, help each other. We have uh, cultural associations uh, for, I don't know, for dancing, uh, for building human towers, for sports, for a lot of things. And that is, uh, that, in my opinion, in my very humble opinion, this is uh, the, the engine that is, uh, that is uh, providing this. Thank you very much. Fascinating. So nice to get to know you. You're perfect for the show, for this topic, obviously. Max (laughs) Claps, I want to tell you, so far we have, I've really enjoyed getting to know your two co-panelists. So, Max, you're up next. Where in the world are you today? What is your favorite beverage for the upcoming holidays, Max Claps? And tell me about your role at SAP besides being the sponsor of this series. (laughs) So where I'm today, I usually work from home when I'm not on a plane, which according to my wife happens too often. <laughs> and home for me is on uh, Lago Maggiore. It's uh, 60 kilometers northwest of Milan, parked in the Alps, very beautiful location. I don't see the lake from my office, home office window, but still I can't complain. Um, drink. Well, being Italian, I guess I only have two choices. It's either coffee or wine, and since I don't drink coffee, red wine in particular from the northeast of Italy, like Amarone and Refosco, those are by far my favorites. What do I do? Um, I've, I've been in public sector IT technology innovation since 2002, and I've always struggled to explain what my job was about. (laughs) I guess uh, at at SAP, I have the privilege to uh, guide a team of real experts in the Mm -hmm. smart city topic. Um, What we do, we help our customers understand how they can uh, apply technology to solve business problems. We're we're not deep into uh, the technical details. We really want to bring out the value, the business process innovation, uh, the remanaging of business models. 
So that, that's what we do. We tell stories, we articulate stories on how they can use the SAP technology to change and improve city life. I have to tell my panelists I'm not allowed to have any caffeine on radio show days. So I uh, I don't have coffee in front of me. They just let me have cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. I am here in Durham, North Carolina, as I mentioned, and we're going through another early cold, I don't know what to call it, a cold snap. Rumor has it, today's Friday, rumor has it that by this Sunday we're going to get three inches of snow, which is an OMG for me. I left New York thinking I was going south for warmer weather. It was 23 degrees Fahrenheit here last night, Twenty. Three degrees Fahrenheit. That's a that's nine degrees under freezing. And I still just saw somebody walking by my. I'm working out of my home office radio studio here. I saw somebody walking by in shorts, but he had a heavily padded ski jacket on, mittens, a scarf, and a wool cap. But he had shorts, and his <laughs> legs were bare. It must be a southern thing to do. I, I'll never, I'll never get used to that. So if you're just tuning in, we have a fascinating panel here. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. We're talking about data-driven cities of the future, and I think we're talking about data-driven cities now looking at leadership into the future. I think we can move that title around a little bit. My special guests today are Harold Wouters, Senior Strategist at the City of Den Bosch at, uh, in the Netherlands. He calls it the Dutch Data Science Capital. We have Yvonne Caballero, founder and CEO of City Beats, and Max Claps, Future Cities, Citizen Engagement, and Postal Business at SAP. We're not going to take a break. We're just going to keep plowing through because this is just too fascinating. So, Harold, you're up first in the roundtable. And I've picked something here I think will be an interesting place for us to start our roundtable. Number one, you say we need to adapt to the wave of digital technologies coming at us. Okay, I think we've established that. But here's what you say. Since we are living in an age of information, our citizens expect and demand we take action and make use of -of state-of-the-art technology for their benefit. Give us some perspective, please, Harold, on how this is working in your city, and then we'll find out from Yvonne and from Max their thoughts on what you said, and maybe they'll add some case studies. So, Harold, what, what is the level of the citizen demand right now? Yeah, you see, citizen engagement, that's the, it's the buzzword from the European Commission, and how do we engage citizens? But I think it comes because of the fact that uh, people have the information that before only the government or other organizations are having, we're having. So uh, we see a shift towards where the people are uh, in the forefront and they have to, they, uh, we should adapt to their ways of uh, influencing our policy making. Um, for example, um, I saw this, I saw this one case in, in Brussels. So Brussels is a, it's a bilingual uh, city. It's the, it's separated in 18 municipalities. Um, so it was really difficult for them to fix potholes in the roads. Uh, they just um, they produce an app, and it's really easy just to target a pothole, and now the coverage of the city, uh, it's, it's tremendously, it's uh, no, virtually no more potholes. That's something that's because of the information availability for uh, the people on the streets, instead of that, uh, you should rely on what the government should do uh, and wait for it to happen. So that's, uh, I think, it's a great example of how... The, the, the things have changed. In the, in the Netherlands, we have a new law coming up in the surrounding where you see that urban developments, you should always involve people uh, in understanding the urban developments and what it means for their, uh, for their, yeah, for their own cause. So you don't get anyone, uh, not in my backyard or anything, mm-hmm. which, which you, uh, when you install, for example, windmills uh, nearby people, when you have new housing coming in, uh, they can always star- stall the developments when they complain. 
because of jurisdiction and you're allowed to, to complain. So uh, to counter that, because it's, yeah, it's really cost, costly uh, to counter that, we, should, we, are, we are looking for ways to involve them, for example, with virtual reality, for example, with uh, experience rooms to make sure that we diminish the amount of complaints in the urban development. So that's something that because of the information availability, uh, we take another turn on that. Thank you, Harold. I, I want you to just add in, before I bring in Yvonne and then Max, I want you to bring in something about, I see here in your notes, the safe-to-bike real-time alarm light. What is that? You're piloting yeah. it, and how's it going? Yeah, it's really funny because uh, I was talking to SAP in the Netherlands, and they have this mobile innovation lab. It's like a container. Uh, they put it outside one of their customers, and they do design thinking sessions with all the stakeholders uh, in that lab for a day, and then they, they start to develop new use cases. So at one time, they did it for an insurance company. You know, the Netherlands being a cycling country, uh, mm-hmm. we have a lot of cycling accidents. Being a dense country with traffic, with yeah. e-bike developments, children going to school. So uh, each year, Interpolis, insurance company, they, it costs them 300 million euros for cycling accidents. So if you can decrease that amount with just a little, you already have a business case. So what they came up in one of those sessions was uh, developing a real-time bike alarm light mounted on a steer, and it works with an app on your phone, um, and it works with geo, just the location, geo information location, uh, and just knowing where different, uh, dangerous uh, intersections are ahead of you. So a real-time data and data that was uh, was there uh, beforehand. Um, and we piloted last year in, uh, in uh, Den Bosch, last year with children going to school for eight weeks. And this year we did it with elder citizens, really successful. So we just, you have the people uh, driving around with the alarm light and it just lights up when dangerous traffic is ahead. So it was a really successful thing. And that made me think if SAP can do it for one of their customers, why not produce this sort of a new type of roadshow and go into the neighborhoods and ask people, what are your concerns? What are your problems? Because nowadays, because all the, all the focus of the policy is on sustainability, uh, large themes that are not really uh, easy for people to comprehend or not uh, directly felt. Um, so we, 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 what we want to do next year, we want to go into the neighborhoods of Mbos and to see what's going on there. Uh, how's the congestion? How are the people, are the, are, the, are the children going safe to school during the day? Are they safe at night walking, walking the dog? Um, stuff like that, and when, then we want to make it sort of roadshow and ask the people to involve them to ride, ride on the spot to help to help them solve the the problems that they are facing in their in their neighborhoods. I'm very impressed. This is very exciting, taking it literally to the people on the streets where they are. Fascinating. I want to move around the table to Ivan Caballero. Ivan, please comment and add any case studies you'd like to about Barcelona or anywhere else that you're you're doing, you're living, you're working. Uh, comment on what Harold just shared, please. Yeah, I, th- I think um, Harold's point uh, and examples are really interesting because, uh, under my opinion, uh, they impact in the trust of uh, people. And uh, this is basically what uh, what what we need to, to what the, it's one of the important things that we need to solve, right? There is a lot of distance between uh, governments and and citizens, and uh, this um, building these solutions uh, that can build trust and can make visible how uh, the government policies are improving their lives. Um, this can help a lot into into improving society. 
Tom, uh, yeah, I, I can put you an example uh, mm-hmm. that we've been participating. Um, for example, I cannot say the city, uh, but um, we've been, uh, there was like a late decision of a city of uh, building tunnels behind the city in order to avoid uh, urban traffic, uh, which initially was like a, um, something really good for, for the citizens, right? Uh, but what we what we found out uh, after running uh, our, our systems on on that on that city and, that, and those neighborhoods is that uh, they uh, this um, uh, this uh, decision uh, paralyzed uh, urban traffic during three years and that generated multiple problems uh, to these neighborhoods. Uh, so no, I just wanted just wanted to say this because. Uh, it's really key to better to, to understand in real time what are people's concerns. So uh, when we make policies and we take decisions, uh, they are totally aligned with their needs in every moment because uh, people's needs change uh, very fast. Certainly do. Thank you very much. Max, <laughs> talk to us. What a good panel we have today, Max. What do you think? I think it's it's really interesting what Ivan and Ara were, were saying. I think two points. The engagement of citizen is mm-hmm. about convenience and relevance for the citizens. Yes. We should not expect the citizens to engage with the government and come to a platform and give us their opinion for every other decision that the government has to make. Um, we, we need to make it contextually relevant like at the neighbor level, like Ara was describing. And a couple of weeks ago, I was discussing with a city in South America, and they're rethinking parking and mobility, but bearing in mind the specificity of every neighborhood. So if a neighborhood has more schools and they want to stand up a carpooling um, model or a carpooling service, then they need to make it relevant for mothers taking kids to school. Or if it is a university neighborhood, it needs to be relevant and affordable for university students to carpool. And and, and so forth and so on. I was in India uh, back in March, and the problem there uh, when it comes to water consumption and access to water and sanitation, it's not really billing, but making available fresh water into uh, shanty towns mm-hmm. and giving access to people uh, those uh, to, to water services and, and, and clean water. So the, the context and using the data to understand what is relevant for citizens is really what pays off. Then um, gaming and virtual reality and augmented reality can make the experience better and more exciting, but it's very much the targeted action that will make a difference for citizen engagement and convenience. Thank you very much. Harold, any comments you'd like to share on what your two co-panelists just commented on your your topic before I move on to something from Yvonne's list? Harold? Yeah, I, I think we, we all agree that, um, um, yeah, we, we're, we're on an age of, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a breaking point, I guess, where, uh, where we should, we know that it doesn't work the old-fashioned way for governments to, uh, to apply their own policy and then see how people react and 
I think the, 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 both the panelists agree on uh, on that that new phase that we're going into, and I think it's really interesting for companies to help governments to uh, to come up solutions for uh, for a better living climate in uh, cities. Thank you very much. Yvonne, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's look at the bigger picture. Uh, I know the UN has their their guidelines here. You say within 30 years, two-thirds of the world population will live in city spaces. So clearly sustainability within cities is a key issue. The UN's SDGs are becoming the core of a new promising economic and social model. Citizen cities around the world are aligning their strategies with these to strengthen social commitment and create significant local impact. Let's talk for a moment, Yvonne, please, about what what does sustainability mean inside cities? Is it the jobs? Is it the resources? Is it the electricity in the water? Is it the roads that will not crumble? Is it the buildings that will not give way to tremors and earthquakes and and tsunamis? What are we talking about in terms of sustainability? Yeah, well, uh, the Sustainable Development Goals um, were uh, defined to um, interconnect uh, all the topics that uh, impact in uh, human population and uh, allow uh, to uh, allow people to to be sustainable uh, in uh, in different angles. Like, for example, uh, the quality of the of jobs or or the poverty or the quality of water, clean clean water and sanitation, or infrastructure innovation uh, and industry. So, those sustainable uh, development goals. Um, uh, were uh, defined to achieve uh, this sustainability by 2030. And uh, the main problem that uh, we are facing is that uh, some of the concepts are doesn't apply to everyone. Uh, they are a little, a little bit difficult to measure. So uh, we are having some experiences in monitoring, in monitoring sustainable development goals, for example, in Japan or in Spain. And it's interesting because... Um, there are like let's say like two dimensions, right? Let's say the, the data uh, that can be provided by sensors, and then the data that can be provided by humans, uh, which is more related to perceptions or sensations. Uh, for example, you can have in a country or in a city the perception that um, everything is okay, but the sensors could be saying that the pollution is really high. Or in the other side, you could be having zero alerts from sensors and you could be having a lot of information from people saying that um, they are uh, concerned about community problems, right? So um, this is, uh, we are working in, uh, with the Sustainable Development Goals Observatories. And uh, in Japan, for example, we are helping, you know, in Japan there is a huge problem. There are two main problems. One is uh, natural disasters and the other one is mm-hmm. aging. And that, that mm-hmm. is causing some lack of uh, human power sometimes. Uh, so, for example, we can, we can monitor by neighborhood um, uh, collecting very, very unstructured data. Um, and transforming that unstructured data into something more uh, quantitative, uh, we can uh, we can help, for example, the Ministry of Industry to uh, better understand which are the infrastructures that they have to take care by priority, right? Uh, and this is based on the perception of people. So, and this is totally related to uh, the Sustainable Development Goal number na- number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you. Max, love to get your thoughts on this. Max? 
Yeah, so the SDG are very much front and center to what we do at SAP. They're part of our purpose-driven uh, initiatives. We want to make people life better. So it's not just about the money that we make at SAP, but through empowering companies, empowering governments, empowering local utilities and transit authorities to become more intelligent, we expect them they will make an impact on the livability and prosperity of the city. And we encourage uh, the cities that we work with to align the investment that they make in technology with strategic goals. So it's not technology for the sake of technology, but it must be mm-hmm. technology for the sake of equality, for the sake of um, clean water, for the sake of sustainable energy, and then so forth and so on. And the SDGs provide um, a good benchmark for all cities around the globe to measure against and to see what progress they're making. So they, they, they are a really useful tool that we always have in the back of our mind when we have strategic conversations with customers. Thank you. I have to tell our listeners that SDG is short for Sustainable Development Goals. I just want to make sure everybody knows yeah. what we're what our alphabet soup is is uh, tasting like today. Thank you very much. We're a little bit pressed for time, Harold. I want to make sure you get a shot at talking about this. What are your thoughts about sustainability and in its many shapes and forms we've been discussing, Harold? Yeah, yeah. Just because, I, just like I said before, uh, it's such a big thing, and it's for us as a as a city and managing a city. It's really difficult because we have we have installed a program manager of sustainability, but he's also a missionary. Um, so we have to he has to enthusiast uh, all of my colleagues, enthusiast all the companies in our city, and enthusiast all the other parties to make sure that sustainability will become a condition for all the people to to make sure that we uh, by 2050 will be zero uh, emission uh, completely in the whole city. I was told that we now produce uh, 18 petajoules or something, um, and we want to uh, diminish the amount uh, 50%. 50% will have to come from uh, renewable energy sources. But those, uh, the, 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 the challenge is that big because it, it costs over uh, billions. So that makes it really easy for when it comes to the budget to say to people that say, well, the challenge is that big anyway. Um, two and a half million or one and a half million, that's, yeah, well, we're not going to, the challenge we'll, we'll see afterwards, you know? So you're making it the subject that big and that important, then the opposite will happen. Uh, if you understand what I mean, that if you start, I, I, personally, I believe in organic growth. So if you start with a small uh, subject, a small project, small, that, that helps instead of uh, the approach from a real broad, big, Topic that it's uh, then I come back at what I said before. Uh, you have to bring it to the the street level and the people level, and what is their impact uh, on on their on their personal budget or on their personal environment, and what does it help, and how can we make a change there? And I think that eventually uh, we'll, we can create a global impact working from there. You know what, Harold? I'm going to consider that your crystal ball prediction because we're running short on time, and I want to make sure we get everybody's in. So you have just shared a shared your 60 second prediction yeah. with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I think we've been doing a lot of predicting. Ivan Caballero at City Beat, 60 seconds. What's your prediction for smart cities of the future? Go ahead. 
Well, my prediction is that uh, given that uh, artificial intelligence is bringing a lot of automation of the works, we will have uh, more free time uh, and we will live with uh, more abundance because uh, automation doesn't mean uh, losing abundance. That means that it will increase. So uh, my prediction is that people will be able to live out of their contributions into their communities. Uh, So they will be rewarded and they will have let's say, money, uh, based on the impact they are creating in their communities, apart from their job. So apart, let's say, that half time we will be working and half time we will be contributing to the society. Thank you very much. Max Claps, I saved the last for you. I can give you 90 seconds if you talk fast. That's a joke. Go ahead, Max. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cities since I've been looking into smart cities that we're talking about data monetization, and I want to mm-hmm. be very clear I do not think that any city will make money with data by 2025, by 2030. Mm. So that's my prediction. Cities will not make money by selling data, but they will drive value out of data. They will reimagine the urban sustainability. They will reimagine how public services are delivered. They will help and promote new economic development models through the uses of data. Thank you very much. I have a prediction of my own. Max, I'm talking directly to you. I predict that I'm inviting you and Harold Wouters and Yvonne Caballero to come on Coffee Break with Game Changers in 2019 and revisit (laughs) this topic because it's fascinating. And I want our biggest audience on our flagship series to have the opportunity to hear how smart the three of you are and share a lot of your your interior intelligence on what's happening in smart cities. Max, will you accept that invitation and that challenge? Say yes. It will be a great pleasure. Wonderful. Thank you. And Harold and Yvonne, I hope you will as well. So I'm just going to say thank you so much to the three of you. It has been such a pleasure. I learned so much. I love the energy. And I think I'm, I asked Harold, are you excited to be in your job doing what you're doing? And he said yes. And I know Yvonne is and I can hear Max. Yes, you are too. That's what's so cool about this topic is it's about all of us. Wherever we live in the world, we all have an opportunity to be part of smart cities. I'm reflecting on the community I'm in right now. I'm not sure how smart it is, but I'm going to go out and find out. So that's a whole other show. So I want to say thank you to Aaron, our engineer at the Business Channel team. And thank you, Max, and your colleagues, uh, Marlon Zelkowitz and Jörg Furchow this year for some wonderful topics on the Smart Cities, Game Changing Smart Cities banner. And, And I'm hoping you'll renew for next year, but if not, we will grab you for some episodes on Coffee Break. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Harold Wouters at the City of Den Bosch in the Netherlands, just like Yvonne Caballero at City Beats in the beautiful city of Barcelona, and just like Max Claps at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Happy holidays to all. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.